Uh, youth, I think you're going to head off with Jared. So I'll bless you in that. Just while the uh, team set me up here, I just want to let you know that this uh, this summer I'm um, going to be going on a uh, on a thank you guys on a on a sabbatical. And so Willow Park Church, as part of its uh, support of its pastors, is every seven years um, they support the pastor in going on a 12-week, all-inclusive. Was what I was told. That's what I heard. Is that right, Brad? <laughs> a 12-week break, and um, and so I'm I'm really the South Lead team have known about this for a while because we've been busy organizing what that will look like. But from basically the beginning of June to Labor Day weekend ish, um, I'm not going to be around. I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be doing. Uh, other things, we've got some things planned. We're going to England for a couple of weeks, and I'm spending an extra week in Cambridge uh, and to uh, the Tyndale Library, which I'm really looking forward to. You can book a table in the library for a week, and I'm just going to enjoy. I'm going to study Galatians is my hope over the summer. And so part of that as well is I have a week uh, with uh, N.T. Wright, not just me and him, because that, be, that would be awesome, but... That was uh, a little bit outside our budget. Um, but it's, so N.T. Wright is teaching in Vancouver for a week on Galatians. And so I'm really looking forward to it and uh, I'm really excited about that. So please pray. Um, Sarah is still going to be around. Luke is going to be still here and, uh, and Nicole and Brad. And we have a whole team of people poised, ready to jump into action at, the, at any time at all. So please test them on that. That would, be, uh, that would be wonderful. But, uh, so we just wanted to, the, the nice thing about having a sabbatical in this way is, uh, is it's proactive. And uh, it's not because I desperately need one or you know, I'm crawling into it. It's, it's actually it's a good time. I feel good about it. And I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. So uh, please pray about that. Um, everything was going great until the maggots have started appearing from underneath the stove. Sarah and I were in Maui on our 25th anniversary vacation. It was a beautiful, it was a lovely little apartment and kitchen and lounge area and bedroom and, you know, it was, it was idyllic and we'd never been to Maui before um, and uh, it, was, it was a great time and then one morning we got up about halfway through and Sarah lets out a scream and I go running into the kitchen and on the kitchen floor were these tiny little maggoty grubs crawling all over the kitchen floor. And they were heading for the, for, the, for the patio doors out onto the porch. And so they were kind of kamikazing it off the edge into, into the groove of the patio door. And, and, and so I started sweeping these things up. And as much as I could sweep them up, they just kept on appearing from underneath the oven and it was gross so then he started thinking hang on I've been padding around here in my bare feet and and so it was it was it was going great until the maggots appeared and so we spent I don't know an hour and a half catching up with these things brushing them up I tried all sorts of stuff I was using salt I was trying to be creative and they just kept on coming and I figured well I'm not sure that they were kind of fly maggots because I'm in Maui. Maybe they have a special kind of chilled out surfing maggot. I don't know. And so I didn't know what these things were, but, uh, but eventually it stopped. And we called our uh, Airbnb uh, person and complained. And they kind of went all Maui on us. We were like, oh, 
Great. Well, can you come and burn down the apartment or something? I don't know. Do something. And they literally just say, oh, well, we've never had that happen to before. Happen before. Well, thanks. That was, that was great. For the rest of the holiday, though, even though they had gone, we were, we were kind of poised. I was always looking at the floor. It didn't ruin the holiday. We had a, a wonderful, wonderful time. It was all going great. It was all going great. Everything was perfect. And then something just takes that away. And is that not like what it's like in life sometimes? Everything's going great, and then dot, dot, dot. Everything seems to be lined up. Everything seems to be working as it should. Everything's going great. And then just suddenly, for no particular reason, the joy just seems to stop. And it's like life reminds us that maybe we're not as in control as we thought we were, or maybe things weren't as great as we thought they were. Everything was going great, and then... And I wonder whether you've had any of those experiences. And maybe you can think about a really big experience where everything in life is going great, and then suddenly something happens that is, is, has a magnitude and a size to it, that everything just grinds to a halt, joy gets sucked out, and it just feels like a disaster. Or maybe it's just the little things. Maybe it's just the small things on the day-to-day that somehow everything's going great and then something or someone says something or does something and the joy just gets taken out. This morning's message as we look at Jesus, our series going up to Easter, is about that. Everything is going great and then suddenly something happens. And it's a fascinating and incredibly well-known scripture out of John chapter 2. So you can turn there if you have your Bibles or your devices, get to John chapter 2. It's, it's this amazing passage, and I've spoken from this passage many times, and I've asked the Lord this week, or a couple of weeks ago, Lord, I, I really want you to show me something that is, that is different about this passage. And, and I was sure that you would, because there's a reason for that, and I will show you in just a second. But I want to I read uh, the first few verses from John chapter 2. And a very, very well-known piece of scripture. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Everything was going great until the wine stopped flowing. Everything was going great until the wine st- stopped. Everything was going great until my little clicker stopped working. Praise the Lord. Let's see if we can get this back. Oh, there we go. Everything was going great until the wine stopped flowing. You see, this, what's interesting about this scripture is that John specifically says in verse 11 that this miracle is more than what it seems. It's less about Jesus' ability to turn water into wine and more about something else. And John actually starts us off in a series of teaching that many of the miracles, he either refers to them as symbolic and signs or actually they just are, you can tell that the sign, the symbolism comes out of it. Now that's not to say that these stories are not true. They are true. They did happen. There was witnesses there. So, for example, here's what I'm saying in verse 11. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs. So John is being unapologetic right up front. Here's the reason why I'm talking to you about a wedding in Cana. Because it's a sign. It symbolizes something. And these signs all through the scripture are where really it's it's a story of where heaven meets earth. 
It's where, it's where the divine comes and, and shows us a little bit more of himself. So we can learn about Jesus. We can learn about God because these are signs. Everything was going great until the wine ran out, is what we're told. What is the sign in this? What do we, can we learn about Jesus and who he is? Well, here's what I want to show you first of all. Weddings. Let's just talk about weddings. Weddings at that time were a huge, huge deal. Like weddings, they wouldn't have had a bouquet like this, but a wedding at that time, because they lived in such abject poverty, a wedding was a big deal. It was the highlight of their life. And so the whole village, the whole town would be invited to the wedding. And the preparation for it and the party would last for a week. It was feast and people would look forward to it because quite honestly, this was as good as it got at that time. Cana was a small, small part of Galilee. Nazareth, we're told, it says in the scripture, well, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, Cana is like Nazareth's garage. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's, it's really a nothing place. And I say that respectfully. I don't want to be rude, but I, I tried really hard to think of a place in Canada that I could say, Cana is like. And I've made this mistake before. I've made this mistake by referring to parts of Canada in a somewhat funny, kind of light-hearted, comedic way, only to be met by the door by somebody with a very stern look on their face saying, I come from that place, Lumbee. I come from that place. And it's fantastic. The first time I went to Winnipeg was within a month, a few months of me arriving, and they just happened to have one of the unbelievable cold snaps, as they called it. Cold snap. It was minus 49. A British guy comes off the plane and this hits him in his kind of thin British winter jacket. Like your, your eyes start getting sticky. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Your nose hurts and it crackles when you breathe in. Your watch stops working. Your back aches. I don't know what. The cold is unbelievable. And I started making fun of it. You don't do that. Because Winnipeg is the best place in the world to be from if you're from Winnipeg. And if you're from Winnipeg, you get to make fun of it. If you're not from Winnipeg, you don't. You're an outsider and you don't make fun of it. So, Cana is not like Winnipeg. Nor is it like Lumbee. It's a very unique place that everybody loves and it's wonderful. But this wedding was the center of their attention. And wine is essential. Now, you need to understand that at that point, to get drunk was shameful. So it wasn't in our thinking, oh, they needed more wine because they wanted to get legless. It wasn't that at all. It was that this wine symbolizes something important. John tells us it's a sign. Now, I've conducted a few weddings in my time because being a pastor, that's what you do, and and you get used to it, and... um, and it's, it's always a joy. And, and I can think, you know, everybody's very tense and very ever, and on edge. And, and so as the pastor, I believe it's part of my job, especially in the wedding preparations, just to try and bring some peace and calm to the whole proceedings. It's going to be great. You look wonderful. You're beautiful. Yes, bride is as well. And, you know, and all, all these kind of things, you try and bring some calmness to it. It's, it's wonderful. And, uh, but there have been mistakes made. I think probably the worst mistake I made is because I was quite nervous about it. It was my first wedding that I did in, in, in Canada. Is I forgot to get everybody to sit down. 
So you know when you go, okay, everybody, please stand for the bride, and everybody stands. I didn't tell anybody to sit down. They just stood there the whole time thinking, somebody at the end said, is, is that like a British thing? Well, I realized it was terrible. And then, of course, there was the Jared and Chanel wedding. Is Chanel here? Where is she? I've seen them. They're around. They're probably in kids. Jared and Chanel they were wonderful. But it was a boiling hot day, and my iPad stopped working because it just overheated. And so I'm conducting the ceremony, and it just goes black. But my wonderful wife had brought paper copies. Praise the Lord. She's amazing. And you were right, love. You were right. You were right. See, to the Jewish mind, wine symbolized joy. So when the wine runs out, John is saying this is a sign of the joy running out. That this wasn't just about getting drunk. It was actually a shameful thing. This would, be, this would have brought a, a certain level of shame and guilt upon the family that they would have had to have lived with their whole lives. In fact, history tells us that it were, people would actually get sued if the wine ran out at a wedding because it was so important. You are literally saying there is no joy in this wedding. There is no joy in this marriage. And so when Mary says the wine has run out, they, she's literally saying there is no more joy in this wedding. The rabbis said, they had a saying that was this, without wine, there is no joy. So everything was going great, and then the wine fails. Life loses its joy in such a way that actually would bring shame and guilt and tragedy for this young couple. The center of their life was being ruined. It was all going great until the wine ran out. And can't we resonate with that? It was all going great. I'm full of health. And then suddenly the doctor tells me. Or suddenly something happens and I end up in hospital. That life, that money is on the increase, that friends are multiplying, that work is good, that church is great, that school is going well, the relationship I'm in is strong, and then suddenly the wine runs out, the joy runs out, and you're left wondering, okay, what am I going to do here? What, what is the answer to this? And so in our culture, we're told, well, you did this wrong, you did that wrong, you should do more of this and you should do less of that. And so you work at those things only to find out that even though you do those things, the wine still runs out. Because life has that habit. And for those of us in the room, and I say this in a non-condescending way, just from an experiential point of view, if you can't think of a time when the wine has run out, you're probably not old enough yet. It will run out. And there'll be a point where you go, where is the joy? And can I say that in our culture, we somehow have equated wealth and prosperity and possessions and power and popularity and all those things. Therefore, that is equal of joy. So if you have these things, then life is good for you. Whereas I know and you know of people who have all those things where still the wine runs out. The joy still goes. Everything is going great. And then suddenly the wine runs out and life loses its joy So I read this and I go, okay, I can understand that. I can see the scripture. I can see the sign. I can see, yeah, there have been times in my life where the joy has run out through really what feels like no fault of my own. It just goes. But then as I'm looking at this scripture, and this is what we need to do as we study the Bible, is ask it questions. Better ask the Lord questions. Why was Jesus even there? In John chapter 1, why, why, why was Jesus at this wedding in John chapter 2? Because in, in John chapter 1, 
we have this amazing explanation from John as to who Jesus is. He is the Word. He is God. He was there at the beginning. He's the Creator. He's painting this divine picture, this magnificent Jesus who came in flesh as light of the world. And he said he is so amazing, we heard this last week, that I'm not even worthy to untie the, the, the laces on his shoes. This is Jesus. He is God. He is the Word. He is everything. And then chapter 2, Jesus was at a wedding in the back end of, of I mean, Cana. Why? Why was Jesus there? Why was he at this little wedding? There is literally nothing significant about the place, nor is there anything significant as far as we know about the people. Why was Jesus there? John chapter 1, we have all about the divine Jesus. John chapter 2, in the first part, we have details. And here's what hit me, and this is what made me so excited to preach it this week, because honestly, I really believe that if you apply this principle to your life this week, it will radically change the way that you see God. Now, that's a big claim, but I want to prove it to you. Why is this an important passage? Because we're told, first of all, that the divine is in the details. You want to write that down or take a picture of that? The divine is in the details. We go from the Logos, Jesus, God, to Jesus at a wedding in the back end of the back end. The divine in the details. That is so encouraging for us. The divine is in the details. And not only that, he's interested and involved. He's interested and involved. I'm going to say it again. He's interested in the details of your life and involved in the details of your life. So let me describe to you what these details look like. They're the things, they're the, why would I pray for that? Does that make sense? That's bad grammar. But the the details of your life are those things that we look at and go, why would I ever pray about that? That's not important enough. This wedding is not important to anybody. Like literally, Cana was looked upon as just a nothing place. Nazareth was bad. Cana, are you kidding me? It's a detail. It's, a, it's not even a detail. It's a detail of a detail. But Jesus is there because he's interested in the details. And so what is it that is the details of our life? That all those things, of which there were many, are those things that God can't be interested in that. He's got more important things to do. He's not interested in that. It's too small. He's got bigger stuff to deal with. Have you seen what's happening in America recently? Have you seen what's happening over in, the, in, in North Korea? Those are the big things. God's interested in those. Why on earth would he be interested in the little things of the little things in my life? Because he's the divine in the details. I love that John brings that, which is magnificent, into the minute. Brings it right down. Personal Jesus. Because that's what he said. He is the word. He God, personal, relationship, is the word. And he's involved in the details of our lives. I was chatting about this this week, and I've talked with a few people about it. And and I I realized, in one conversation, it was with with Dave this week, we were chatting around this, and we're going, well, some of the things that him and I have prayed for in the past that would seem to be strange to pray for, you know, God, Lord, can you help me find a parking space? God's not interested in that. Is he? The divine and the details, why isn't he? Well, he's got bigger stuff to deal with. Who makes, listen, who makes the decision as to when something becomes significant and when something is a detail? Where, where, who makes that decision? 
Does that make sense? When is something a detail or when is something significant and important? Who, who makes that decision? Are we putting ourselves as so important that we're going, hey, listen, I'm God's personal assistant and in my, my, uh, in my thinking, that's way too important for God. Sorry, way too uh, detailed for God. He should be concentrating on this. So, excuse me? Jesus was interested in this wedding. He was interested in this young couple's shame and guilt. He was interested in something so insignificant that people would have gone, Jesus went to Cana? Jesus is interested in my parking? Why not? See, some of you think it's funny, and I thought it was funny. As we started chatting, Dave and I, we were kind of going, what about this? And what about that? And, and it's like, well, who makes the decision? See, Jesus is saying that he's interested in the detail. And this is what hit me when I read this passage. This is a detail passage. This is the divine in the detail. See, Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. That sounds and feels pretty exhausting, but if you bring Jesus into the detail of your life, suddenly you've got lots to pray about. Just as you go about your normal every day, you're praying, you're thinking, you're considering. The Bible says that Jesus, that God is aware when a sparrow falls to its death. We had a tree full of them a few weeks ago. The little, the really pretty ones, that they just smother the tree and they go in big flocks. For whatever day, for whatever reason that day, they were going, they were freaking out and hitting. Those of you who've been to my house, you know I've got like full back windows, like 25 foot up, like big windows. And they're hitting this wind, these windows all the time until one of them hit and went poof in the snow. So I go outside, going to go and rescue this sparrow, pick it up with my gloves. I'm not wearing my hands, that'd be mad because you'd get rabies or something off it. And, uh, and literally it died in my arms tonight. It just came to me, I'm sorry. Broken wings, that's what it's called, right? The song. This is perfect. There was a God moment right there. And as I'm watching it breathe its last, I'm making it sound way more dramatic than it actually was. As I'm watching it breathe its last in my arms tonight. I'm, no word of a lie, honestly, I was thinking, Jesus knows. He knew that this sparrow died. Like, if you apply that to your life, then suddenly God doesn't become this distant hero that is uninterested in you. He becomes something that is part of every possible detail in your life that you can reference to and pray. You can pray about the parking. Why not? You can pray about the refund you want to get. Why not? Well, it's not important enough for God. Who says? Who says? Well, you can, you can pray about favor. You can pray about people. And then the most beautiful thing is you can thank him. You can thank him when you sit down and it's a great cup of coffee or a lovely glass of wine and the sun, you can just go, oh, thank you, Jesus. Let's bring in the divine into the detail. You see, the Bible says that all things have been created in and through and for him. That there's no part of creation that he's not aware of. It says that he holds and upholds the whole of the universe in the palm of his hand. And yet he knows, so the divine universe, palm of hand, that's pretty divine, also knows the detail of when a sparrow hits the back window of my house and dies in my arms tonight. He knows. He knows. 
if we actually think and consider that God is powerful enough to know the details, it makes him even more magnificent that he would be interested. Look at what Spurgeon says. I believe that every particle of dust that dances in the sunbeam does not move an atom more or less than God wishes. That every particle particle of spray that dashes against the steamboat has its orbit as well as the sun in the heavens. That the chaff from the hand of the winnower is steered as the stars in their courses. The creeping of an aphid over the rosebud is as much fixed as the march of the devastating pestilence. The fall of leaves from a poplar is as fully ordained as the tumbling of an avalanche. The divine in the detail. What a beautiful way to live. God is absolutely interested. Absolutely interested. But then there's something else that this verse tells us. Not only is he invited into the detail. Sorry, not only does he come to the wedding, he's invited. Why was Jesus there? He was invited. That's all. The divine was invited into the detail. This is of huge importance, friends. Hugely important. That Jesus was there, interested and involved in the detail, and he was there because he was invited. So this makes the obvious question. And I want us all to land and think and journal and pray about this. Do you invite the divine into the details of your life? Do you invite the divine into the details of your life? Or are you waiting for the divine to somehow come and find you? And he will, and he's gracious, and he does that. And we're going to look at that next time I preach. We're going to look at this whole this mystery between God seeking and us responding. And, and we're going to look at that in a couple of weeks' time. So God does seek, and yet there are times there's these if and then promises. If you do this, then I will do this. So do you invite the divine into the detail? And this is so practical. Today, tomorrow, as soon as I finish preaching, you can start thinking about the divine in the detail. As you're going out, as you're thinking, as you're doing about your work, as you're, going, as you're studying, as you're in class, as you, we have this weird idea that somehow God is something that we do Rather than God being part of who we are and everything that we see and he is in and through and for everything. So you go into work, it's not like, okay, I had my spiritual time this morning. Your devotional time, your quiet time is as a, as a continuation of the rest of the time. God, it's so good. The sun, I love being out there in the mornings when you guys coming in. I shake hands with people and it's, and it's, and it's good and, and immediately the sun brightens people. Why don't we do that? We need to invite him in. There's a really good example of this in uh, in the Old Testament. And it surrounds Moses. And Moses is walking about, it's his every day, it's his normal day in, in the desert, and there's nothing special about it. And then he notices the burning bush, which, by the way, is not an unusual sight in a very hot desert at that time. It was quite common, apparently. What's unusual about this bush is it wasn't being consumed. There's a really fascinating scripture that if you look at it, you'll see it. There's this picture, and just imagine it in your mind's eye as you're reading it. Moses is walking along, looking after his sheep. Then there's the burning bush that we know, the end of the story, that's God. And so Moses sees it, and the scripture says this. And I want you to notice it. I, I want you to see what's important in this scripture. 
I've given you a clue. It's yellow. Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. I will turn aside. He's not stood there going, oh, look, burning bush. Well, I'm just going to wait here. See if it makes its way over here. Then I'll be interested. Then I'll respond. Because, you know, burning bushes do that. No, he's like, I will make my decision to move from the trajectory that I am on and I am going to go and I'm going to seek out what is over there. It's exactly the same principle in life. We expect God to come to us while God says in his scripture that that I pursue those who pursue me. Seek me out. And we have a habit in our culture to cry out for help and God when things are tough, when everything was going great and then, and then we ask God to come into our life. Then we want him to come and rescue us. Then we want him to come and sort out our mess. Then we want him to show himself strong. And if he hasn't, if he doesn't, if the bush doesn't move towards us, then we get a humph on and go, well, God doesn't love me or God doesn't exist or God doesn't this or God hasn't that. While all the time God is saying, what about the rest of the time? What about the times when you had the opportunity to turn aside, invite me in, to acknowledge, so that when those times of crisis come, he's already there. He's already part of your thinking. That's Christianity. And that's what people will notice when we as Christians take that into the world. It changes the motivation of everything we do. It's the detail into the divine. That there is nothing too small. There is nothing too big. Because the Bible says that Jesus, in the same way he changes water into wine that is symbolic of joy, is that joy is our strength. And Jesus is a joy bringer. We need to invite the divine into the detail. Because in the detail, the divine brings joy. In the detail, the divine brings joy. And joy is the one thing that we're desperately looking for in this life. And we look to things and people and situations and jobs and locations. If I could just live there, if I can have those kind of cushions, or if I could have this car, or if I could have this business, or if my kids could just stop, then I will have joy. And Jesus said, no, joy is not like that. Joy is a gift. Look at this scripture. What a great scripture. John 15 verse 11. Jesus said, I have told you. That, that this, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Not just a bit of joy, complete joy. Complete joy. So Jesus brings joy into the detail because he's capable, because he is divine. So where do we go when the wine runs out? When the joy goes? When everything is going great and then? Dot, dot, dot. Where do we go? What do we do? What do we turn to? You know, maybe you would run to church or run to the pastor and, or run to some godly friends and that's good and godly and right. But joy doesn't start there. Good friends will tell you that joy doesn't start there. Joy starts with inviting the divine into the details, into the everyday of your life where you can appreciate the presence of Jesus in the spray off the side of a boat as much as in a healing of somebody sick. You can praise him. You can love him. You can, and the joy bubbles up. So where do we go when the wine runs out? Do you go to the one who's actually, he's not this cosmic killjoy. He actually wants to bring joy into our lives. Well, Christianity is all about what you do and you don't do. It seems awfully legalistic. 
Have you seen the laws and the rules that our culture has set up that you must follow in order to be happy? You think we're legalistic? You've got to look this way, go here, have this, do this, have this kind of Instagram. You need to look this way when you're at parties. You've got to follow all those rules, then we'll think you've got joy. And you see, we put this onto what we think of God, and we think of God as just somebody who's ready to slam us. I saw this this week. And for those of you who take pictures of the screen, I'm going, to get you, I'm going to give you a heads up. You want to get your phone ready. Because this, this is really... This sums up Christianity so beautifully. Religion says this. I messed up, comma, my dad is going to kill me. Christianity says, I messed up. There's the comma. I messed up, comma, I need to call my dad. Religion is this... You don't do this, be this, and do this type of thing, then God's going to get you. You need to impress God in order to accept you. Where Christianity is, because of what Jesus freely gave on the cross, says this, that yeah, you messed up, but you have a dad who loves you, and you're going to need his help. It's a beautiful way of differentiating the heart and love of the divine in the detail. I messed up, my dad is going to kill me. I messed up. I need to call my dad. I wonder how many of you need to call your dad. How many of you have just ignored him, period? Never mind the details. It's just, actually, you feel like you're able. I need to call my dad. Why? I bring this to land. Nearby stood six stone water jars the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. These aren't clean jars. Each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. You see, the reason we want to bring Jesus, the divine, into the details is because he brings joy by transforming that which is broken, by transforming that which is dirty, by transforming those thoughts, those uh, those paradigms, those thinking that we have that we can do it, that we're the control of our lives, that we're king and queen of our lives, we don't need God. He will actually transform that which is broken and bring joy and transformation internally into our lives, thereby giving you complete joy. Sounds good to me. Where do I sign up? See, as Christians, we're on the inside looking out going, why would you not want this? What is the downside? From the outside looking in, we're going, "Mm, I know what Christianity is, and I don't want that. And on the inside, we're going, no, you've got it wrong. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is complete joy because Jesus Christ died on the cross, taking the sin and the punishment that I deserve, and it died with him, and then he gives me complete newness of life. Come, taste, see, Jesus said. In Jeremiah, it says this, I am the Lord God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? Is there anything that is too big for me? Is there anything that is too small for me? Is there anything that I'm uninterested in? No. Is he powerful enough to heal your marriage? Is he strong enough to provide for your physical needs and and, and wise enough to know what they are? Is God able to make us effective parents? Because I need that. 
I'm apologizing to my kids all the time. I'm sorry. I did it yesterday with Zoe. I'm sorry. I messed up. I'm an idiot. She's like, yeah. I can pray about that, can't I? What a beautiful way to live to bring God into the details rather than just leaving God at the periphery of our lives until when we think we need him and he's all the time saying, just invite me, invite me. But there's a really important bit of this scripture that we read over really quickly and this is where I want to finish. When Jesus said, fill up the, um, the jars, 20, 30 gallons worth, full to the brim, and we do that and we focus on that and we, and we focus on the fact that he turns the wine... Uh, water to wine, there's transformation, and that's very symbolic. It's a wonderful sign of Christianity that, that something that is just plain and ordinary can suddenly become something that is joy-filled and wonderful, and we can focus on that, and that is good. But there's, these, there's, there's four words in the middle of it that I, just hit me when I read them. Now draw some out. Draw some out. That's the Moses turned aside. That's the, okay, it's there, you now, you have to draw it out. You have to live this out. You have to turn aside. You have to invite him in. You need to open your mouth. So when you walk the dog, I did this the other day. I'm walking the dog and I'm, thinking, and I'm just praying and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, Lord, I'm just going to invite you into the details that come into my mind. And I had such a wonderful prayer time just praying about things that ordinarily I probably wouldn't pray about, the little things. You invite him in. You draw it out. You start. So this week, that's my challenge to you. Draw it out. Invite him in. Turn aside. And it's wonderful to put time aside in the morning to read and journal. and Do that. Do that. But in your day, don't make one instead of the other. Do that and turn aside. Invite him in. Draw it out in the day as well. Make it part of your vocabulary. Make it part of who you are and what you do. Become known for it. Everyone brings out the choice wine. This is the guy who suddenly tasted the wine. Remember, the joy is gone and suddenly the joy is back. And this is the response. Everyone brings out the choice wine first. And then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. That's the word of the Lord for you this morning. Invite him in. Draw it out. Bring the divine into the details because the best is for now. The best is not gone. The best is yet to come. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. The best is yet to come as far as Jesus is concerned. What a great way to live. Can you see why I was excited about preaching that this morning? That's right. This is so great. What an incredible way to live. And if you're not in this, if you're not... If this is not part of your life, if you wouldn't say that you're a Jesus follower, come and join it. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. The very best is yet to come. Invite him in. The scripture says this. You become a Christian by doing two things. You believe in your heart that he is Lord and you confess it with your mouth. That's right. That's it. You believe that he is Lord and by doing that, you're immediately realizing, actually, I've made, Lord, I've made the Lord me of my life. And you confess that. You apologize for that. You repent of that. And you confess that, Lord, you are Lord. You are my Savior. You died for me. And the promise is clear. Joy complete. Is it going to be difficult? Yes. 
is a challenge, of course. But having that complete joy in the details of your life all the time, what a difference. The best is yet to come. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the team to come and sing. Now, if I've not given you good cause to sing, then I'm going to invite the Lord into the detail of your voice. And uh, let's invite the divine into the detail of our lives together. Let's close our eyes. Hallelujah. Lord, what a beautiful, beautiful truth that we've read together this morning. But God, that I'm so grateful you are in the cosmos. You are big. You are interested in the big issues of my life. But Lord, I'm so grateful you are also equally interested in the details of my life. And Lord, I pray that as a church and as a South family, that Lord, that we would become people of the detail, that we would bring you, invite you into the details of our life and let that just flow out into the places and the circles and the environments that you placed us in. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Remind us, guide us in our day to day. Thank you for the joy, complete joy, that is ours to have. You know, if I'm praying and and you're a Christian here this morning, then I just want you to start, as we're singing, maybe just praying and about some of the small things that maybe you've not even brought to God. He's interested. He's involved. Lord, I pray for those people in the room who are just on a bit of a journey, that, Lord, they're just thinking through Christianity. They're not sure. God, is so glad they're here. But, Lord, I pray, your word says in, in John that you draw, you are the one that draws people to yourself. So, Lord, I pray you would draw them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And Father, I pray, even now as I'm praying and maybe as we're singing, that, God, that they would just confess with their mouth. They'd pray for forgiveness. They would invite you in. Invite them to the wedding. Maybe the joy has run out. Invite Jesus to the wedding. Invite Jesus into where the joy has run out. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord.